522, everyone standing tonight, my Savior's love, 522, get you a book, don't wait for the chorus now. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul shall ever be. My sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul shall ever be. Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Welcome our visitors.
verse all together now. When with a ransoming glory his face I at last shall see, twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. is a wonderful love. Amen? Marvelous. Amazing. There's no way we can comprehend the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of His love, but I'm glad He loves me. Amen. Good to have you here tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to touch this service and to move tonight in all of our hearts. My quest, if you would, lead us in prayer. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Amen. Let's keep on singing. You need your book now for sure. We don't have these up there on this one. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, 401. This is a good song now. Don't just get the words now. Let's look at them as we sing and think about them. Just don't sing words. But I remember the first time I heard this on TV. It was one of those Gaither singing things. And what a blessing. Just sit there and hear them sing that song over and over again and think about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, 401.
Let's do that third line down on the course, sitting at the feet and sitting at the feet of Jesus. I would look up on the path for his love has been so gracious it has won my heart at last thank you you may be seated that rushers come forward to receive our offering and while they're coming let me say it's good to have all of you here and those that are visiting we're certainly thrilled about you being here tonight want to remember all the young people in their service tonight let me remind you now your giving on Wednesday night goes to support our Bible conference and believe it or not this coming Sunday we're two weeks away from the conference that's that's hard to believe and uh, I, I look forward to the conference every year as soon as we Get one closed, then we start thinking about preparing for the next one. And, uh, but uh, we're two weeks away from this Sunday and the start of the conference. So you've got two more Wednesday nights to give to it. And uh, for many of you that are new, let me just explain tonight what our giving on Wednesday night is for and why we take up this offering for the conference. And for many of you that are here, just to remind you of it. A uh, number of years ago, we started inviting preachers and their families to be able to come in and to get away for a week just to get down here and to get in the meeting get in the conference and just for one week make it where they could get away from all their problems and their burdens and things just to come like we sung just a moment ago just to, for four nights to sit at the feet of Jesus and uh, I'm a pastor I love pastors I have the opportunity to be with a lot of pastors on and off through the year and uh, talk to a lot of pastors. And I know that many of them, they could not afford to get away for a week. They couldn't afford uh, to pay for a motel that week, couldn't afford to, at the time you put a motel bill and gas and food and things like that. They just couldn't afford to do it, but they need to. And, and so what we started doing was to provide lodging for a number of our guests. I remember our first year, I think our motel bill was about $800. I think that was the first time that we did it. And it'll go over $7,000 this year. But I really believe one of the reasons God has blessed us is because of this one particular thing. If there's any one thing I'd put, uh, put my finger on and say, that's why God has blessed us financially, it is this. And so I want you to give now. It's our ministry to other people. Amen. It's not just our ministry here. We've got so many things going, but this is one of the ways that we as a church reach out to be a blessing to someone else. And many of the pastors come. We've got a lot of new pastors coming in this year and uh, five, six, seven states, different ones coming in. And uh, Wednesday week, we'll be giving you cards and prayer cards so that you can be praying for these preachers during the week. But uh, it's our week of ministering to them. And during that week, we try to wait on them hand and foot and just to help them to forget everything so that for one week they can just take in and take in and then get fired up and go back to their churches. That's what it's all about. Amen? And so you give tonight. You've got two more weeks to do so, and I encourage you to give, and I know the Lord will bless you for it. Father, we thank you now for the conference. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done over the past several years and what a blessing it's been. Thank you, Lord, for hearts that have been challenged and preachers that have come in discouraged but left revived wanting to go back to their churches and to see God do some things in their churches. Lord, we thank you for 
the many, many testimonies that we've received down through the years of how the meeting helped them. And so, Father, we come. This Bible conference, Lord, is not just for us, but it's for other people. And we want you, Lord, to bless us and to do something in our church, but we also want you to use our church to be a blessing to so many others. Lord, encourage their hearts by the things they see. Encourage their hearts by the things they hear and what they understand God is doing here. May it be used in their lives to go back and see the same thing happen in their churches. So bless the meeting. Bless the giving tonight. Thank you, Lord, for what has come in this year. And, Father, I pray you'll bless the next two weeks, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. just played is one of my favorite songs, Shepherd of Love. What a wonderful shepherd we have. And he does love us and he cares for us. And some of us may have come here tonight with um, burdens and things on our hearts and things in our lives that we want the Lord to take care of. He promises in his word the peace that he left when he left his disciples. He said, the peace I leave with you is not going to be like the peace the world has, which is not real peace. But he says, I'll give you the peace that passes all understanding. And tonight, if you come with a heavy heart or with a burden on your heart, as we've already sung, just come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Let him know your problems. Let him know your burdens. And he'll give you that sweet peace that he promises.
the clouds seem black as the night. Then I feel his presence surround me. And I know everything
Amen. Thank God for that peace. Let's take our Bibles and turn to James 1. James 1. While you're turning there, let me uh, just thought about this a moment ago and have been aiming to make mention of it. Uh, one of the features that we're adding to the conference, of course, through Tom's ministry past, is our conferences are being put into print. So it will be available this year, the 2000 conference. So everybody that preached last year and all the sermons morning and night will be in book form. And so you'll have that, and we're going to do that every year of the conference. That sounds exciting, don't it? You don't sound excited, but it sounds exciting. There's a difference between what's exciting and what you are sometimes. Amen. Are you excited? Say amen. amen. One little kid is. I wish the rest of you were. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. Church is a place to be excited when you come. Amen. And come in to love the Lord. We've been, we began a few weeks ago going through the book of James. We're going to look at verses 1 or verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1 tonight. We're going to think about all in the family. Look at verse 9. James 1, verse 9, 10, and 11. The scripture said, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade in all his ways. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. I'm going to look at these few verses tonight and think about the matter of all in the family. And we'll look from James' words at three things that James says is true about everybody in the family. Let's look at them. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to read your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to hear your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to preach your word. Lord, there are places around this world tonight where we wouldn't have this freedom, but we thank you tonight for the freedom that we have and the freedom that we enjoy. Thank you again for your word, for the Spirit of God that gives us the word, for the Spirit of God that help us, helps us to understand the word. And I pray, Lord, you'll touch us tonight in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. You notice in your bulletin there, I put down the first stanza in the chorus of a song that has long been a favorite of mine. From one of the first times, first time I heard it, and I'm sure it's one of your favorite. A song that was written by Bill Gaither entitled, The Family of God. And the story, of course, was inspired by a young man by the name of Ron Garner. And he was a member of the church where the Gaithers are members of in Indiana. And, of course, he was involved in an explosion, was badly burned. But uh, the Gaithers couldn't help but notice how their church responded to them during their tragedy, how they responded to them in prayers, how they came together the night of his accident, and they prayed together, how they held him up in prayer. And then in his recovery and whatever, through all of that, the church was there in love, reaching out and helping them in so many ways. And from that experience, he wrote that song, The Family of God. I love the first stanza. You will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. If you're glad to be a part of the family, say amen. amen. March the 23rd, 1956, I was born into the Triffid family. But on April the 2nd, 1972, I was born into God's family. And I rejoice tonight to be a part of the family of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful family to be a part of. Well, James talks about the family of God. He talks about in the text we read just a moment ago, the family of God. He talks about the heartaches and the tears of the family of God. But he also talks about the victories that we share as a family. So I want to look at these three verses and learn three things that James has to say about the family of God. Something that is true of every member of the family. The first one is this. I want you to notice something that is enjoyed by all in the family. There is something James talks about that is enjoyed by every member of the family. Back in verse 2, we saw how he addressed believers as brethren. He said, my brethren. And he's referring to every child of God. But now in verse 9, he once again refers to them as brethren. He calls or speaks of the brother. We see the words, let the brother. You notice in your bulletin there that I wrote down beside the word brother that the word that is used here speaks of being from the same womb. When we talk about brothers and sisters, we're speaking of those who have the same mother, those that are from the same womb. But when James is talking about those that are brothers, he's talking about those who have the same father. You see, when we speak of the family of God, you're speaking of every person that has been saved. You're speaking of every individual that has experienced God's saving grace and has been redeemed through the saving work of Jesus Christ, and God is their Heavenly Father. You see, as believers, we enjoy a relationship one with another through Christ, that relationship being that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, you look around tonight to everybody in this room that is saved. They're your brother. They're your sister in the Lord. It is something that we enjoy as a family. It's something enjoyed by everyone in the family. But you'll notice more carefully that when James talks about this relationship and how that we are brethren or how we are brothers, he also tells us, one, that there is diversity in the family. He describes in the text here that we are brothers, but there is diversity in the family. Even though believers are members of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, we all come from the same spiritual womb. There is diversity among us. And the case before is in James 1, he speaks of two classes of people that is within the family. And we're going to look at the verse 9. You see the first one. And we'll consider the words a little bit more in detail in a moment. But you see the phrase there, the brother of low degree. He's talking about somebody that is poor. He is talking about somebody that is living in poverty. But in verse 10, he talks about the rich. In verse 9, he talks about the poor. In verse 10, he talks about the rich. There are two classes of people. There are those on the lower level. There are those on the upper level, according to the way people thought in those days. Two classes of people, yet they're all members of the same family. But there is a diversity there. There is this matter, this relationship that we have with Christ makes us brothers and sisters, as we all are, in this, all are in this room tonight, but yet there is diversity among the family members. 
In this case, in James chapter 1, there's diversity in the social status of the family. There were some that had very little, and there were some that had a lot. There were some that were living in depressed condition. There were some that were living in comfortable conditions. There were some that were poor, and there were some that were rich. There was diversity there. And when you think about the diversity that's in the family of God, the range of diversity within the family is very, very wide. You see, there's not only diversity among the social conditions such as James describes, but there are educational differences. There are those that maybe have a master's degree, those that have no degree at all. There are not only educational differences, there are racial differences. And we're blessed here in this church to have many of different races. There are racial differences. There are national differences. There are vocational differences. There are even political differences. We've got Democrats. We've got Republicans. And then we've got some that don't know what they are. But the list could go on and on and on and on and on. There is a diversity among the family of God. We are a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet there is diversity. But in that diversity, second of all, there is unity in the family. There is diversity in the family, but there is unity in the family. Even though there is a diversity among us tonight, there is this unity. We are one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. James says it doesn't matter whether you be rich or whether you be poor. You are brothers and sisters in the Lord. You see, one of the unique features of the family of God and one of the unique features of salvation is that it's a great leveler of all mankind. You see, a person's not saved tonight because they're, they're poor. Just because you are poor and living in depressed conditions doesn't give you an edge with God. You're not saved because you are poor, and neither are you saved because you're rich. You can't buy your way in the kingdom of God. Anybody that's saved is saved because they are a sinner in need of a Savior, rich or poor. Can I get an amen right there? And so James is talking about that which is a great leveler of men. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You are all one in Christ. You are a brother and sister in Christ. I'll never forget reading the story of General Robert E. Lee when he came forward to join a church in Richmond, Virginia. And the pastor, of course, I was very thrilled and excited about a famous general coming forward. But when General Lee walked down and stood at the front to unite with the church at the same time, a little Chinaman came. And the pastor, so thrilled about the famous general coming, began to say things about the general and recognize him first. And General Lee stopped him and said, Stop! Start with the Chinaman first. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You see, we are all one. There is a diversity, but there is also unity. You see, we're all equals, equal in the eyes of God. Now, some in this room may have more than others. Some will have less than others. But in the eyes of God, there's equality there. And we're on equal ground with God. He is no respecter of persons. And as far as God's concerned, we are neither rich or poor, but we are redeemed with the grace of God. It's a brotherhood that is enjoyed by all the family. Are you still glad to be in the family? Amen? Something enjoyed by all in the family. But look at the second thing. James not only talks about something enjoyed by all in the family, but he talks about something experienced by all in the family. Now, if you remembered our past studies, and it's important to remember tonight that James is continuing his discussion of trials. He hasn't shifted gears at this point. 
And he hasn't changed lanes at this point. James is still talking about trials. And he begins, and even next week in our study, we'll see that he continues the thought, but yet looking at it down another fork in the road. But at this point, he's still talking about trials. He's still talking about suffering and things that we go through. As we notice in verse 2, what a great verse that is. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. If you were here when we started the book of James, or our second study in James, we looked at verse 2. We saw that it's not a matter of if trials come, but when. James said, didn't say, my brethren, count it all joy if you fall into divers' temptations, but when you fall into divers' temptations. He's telling us trials are going to come. Now in verse 9, 10, and 11, he tells us that everybody in the family experiences trials. He tells us in verse 2 that trials are certain to happen. Now in verse 9 and 10 and 11, he tells us that no one in the family is exempt from trials. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich. Everybody goes through trials. The poor doesn't escape trials because they're poor and God has pity on them. And the rich doesn't escape trials because God favors them. No, nobody is exempt from trials. Look at it more closely. You see, first of all, what I want to call the humble conditions of the believer in poverty. He talks about the rich man. He talks about the poor man. Well, let's look at these two. He talks about the humble conditions of the believer that's living in poverty. Notice again verse 9. He talks about the brother of low degree. You see those two words, low degree? They come from one word, which literally means one who does not rise far from the ground. Metaphorically, it speaks of someone that is depressed. Someone that's at the bottom of the ladder. Someone that is living in very, very humble conditions. We might say somebody that is living in poverty. They do not rise very far from the ground. They can't get up the social ladder, we might say. They are depressed. They are living in humble conditions. They're very, very poor. James talks about the brothers that's in of low degree in verse 9. Those that were very, very poor. If you've read much of church history, you know that many of the members of the early church were from the lowest economic levels of society that existed in those days. I was reading not too long ago about the catacombs in Rome and the inscriptions they found on the catacombs. It is interesting that a large number of the inscriptions they found in the names were of slaves. Many slaves had turned to Christ, and many slaves had turned to Christianity, and the slaves would have been the poorest of the poor. Those that were down on the lower level, those had not risen very far from the ground, those of low degree. It's very possible that James is talking about those of low degree, those that were living in these humble conditions were conditions that were brought about by persecution because of the fact they were a Christian was the reason they were living in such a low state. I remind you in those days, uh, it was not advantageous to be a Christian. In our day and time, being a Christian can at times have financial advantages. A business may advertise itself as a Christian company or a businessman can advertise himself as a Christian and in so doing gain customers from the Christian community. But that was not the case in those days. You didn't wear something on your lapel that read Jesus is alive. And you didn't stick a bumper sticker on the back end of your chair and says, Hawk. If you love Jesus. No, you didn't do that in those days. 
If you were a Christian, most of the time, it costs you. Most of the time, if you were a Christian, you had your own business, nobody would trade with you. And in many cases, nobody would even sell to you. If you were a Christian, you were ostracized by society. I remember a number of years ago, back in 84, 85, I believe it was, when I preached at the Victory Baptist Church in Naples, Italy. It's a military church. And I remember the pastor there, Dr. John Harbaugh was his name. And I remember uh, Dr. Uh, John was telling me about uh, how many of his members, they had their own businesses, but how they struggled financially. And they struggled financially because the country is predominantly Roman Catholic. And for a person to become a Christian is like turning their back on the religion of that country. And so they would ostracize them. We weighed out one night. All the military men, most of them were Navy and Air Force. Some from the Air Force base, some of the Navy are from off the NATO base there in Naples. And I remember we all, they took us out to this restaurant. And one of the members had their own restaurant. They took us there and uh, had us a nice meal and whatever. Told me about the man being a Christian. And they talked about how the church basically kept that man's business alive because nobody would have anything to do with him. So the church ate there. The people went there to eat just to keep his business alive. Well, in those days, to be a Christian sometimes would cost you everything. Maybe that's why they're a brother of low degree. That's, maybe that's the reason they're living in such abject poverty. Whatever the case, it was a group of people James talks about that's struggling day in and day out to make ends meet. They're having a hard time. They're going through trials. They're having times of adversity in their life. They're barely making it. They're living at the very bottom, having to scrap and save every day of their life. There are many within the family of God that carry the burden of having to struggle week in and week out to make, and make ends meet. There's more month at the end of the... Uh, there's more month at the end of the week they are money and you, it's, sometimes it's difficult to get by with such a burden can be a trial that is faced by the believer that's the humble conditions of the believer in poverty but look at the second one in verse 10 he talks about the rich but he also talks about the trials of the rich when he talks about the humbling circumstances of the believer with plenty there are the humble conditions of the believer that's in poverty, but there is the humbling circumstances of the believer with plenty. Notice carefully verse 10. He talks about a brother in verse 9 of low degree. Now he talks about the rich being made low, but he said in verse 10 he speaks of the rich being made low. Understand that. Catch the emphasis. The rich are made low. The word low that he uses here is very close to the other word, but it literally means in his humility. He's talking about the word describes someone that has been brought down and humiliated. Somebody that's been in a very lofty position, but yet something has happened that toppled them off the top and brought them down low. Something that has humbled them. But you'll notice there that they are made low. James talks about the rich. He talks about those that are of low degree. They're suffering. They're struggling to make ends meet week in and week out. But now he talks about somebody that is wealthy, somebody that is rich, someone that has prestige and power, but yet something has happened in their life that has humbled them. He's saying the poor has their trials, but the rich have their trials as well. He's saying that the, the wealth and prestige does not exempt a believer from trials. There are things that can happen that can even humble the rich. 
And even the rich can find themselves facing trials that bring them low. We have the idea, if I had plenty of money, if I was a millionaire, I'd never have a problem in my life. God says, everybody has trials. God says, no one is exempt from trials. There is a brother of low degree, but there is the rich that is made low. He's saying, even the rich have their trials, their humbling circumstances. It's very possible James is talking about those that were rich, but they'd lost everything because they were a Christian, wealthy, before they put their faith in Christ. But then they put their faith in Christ, and it cost them everything. I don't know it's possible, but whatever the case, the rich were made low. There was something that happened in their life that humbled them and brought them down. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that salvation is a leveler of men. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross. But I'll tell you something else is a leveler of men, and that's trials. Both the poor and the rich have their own trials. Both the poor and the rich have their own storms. Both the poor and the rich have their own adversity. Oh, listen to me. I'm, uh, oh, if I could only be wealthy and rich, have me a home on Missionary Ridge. Your trials may change, but your trials will still come. You see, both the rich and the poor face trials in their life. It doesn't matter your social standing in life. Trials show no favoritism. Trials is something that is experienced by everybody in the family. All in the family experience trials. Amen? Nobody is exempt. James said, I want you to know the issue is not what to do. If trials come, but when? And understand, none of you are going to get by. Rich or poor, trials are experienced by everyone. But look at the third and the final thing that I see in what he has to say. He not only talks about something enjoyed by all in the family, we're brothers, sisters, and something experienced by all in the family, but he also talks about something expressed by all in the family. Verse 2, we mentioned a moment ago, and actually what you have in verse 9, the little word let there, as a particular form that is used there, that what it's doing is connecting us back to verse 2. It's like verse 2, and then this sub points underneath it, then it comes back to verse 9 and start the whole subject over again. And I'll go back to verse 2 because in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Remember we saw the word fall? doesn't mean you trip into it, but it's something that happens suddenly without warning. My brethren, count it all joy when you suddenly found yourself immersed in trials. But notice in verse 9, he comes right back to the same theme again, and he says to the poor and the rich, rejoice. He said, you're all a family. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You all belong to the same family. You're brothers, and you're all going to have trials. But he says to both the rich and the poor, rejoice no matter what your conditions are, and rejoice no matter what your circumstances are. Look at the word rejoice. The word rejoice literally means let him boast. He says to the rich man, let, let him boast. He says to the poor man, let him boast. Rejoice. Boast in this matter. And why don't you understand this? That when he talks about boasting, he's not talking about boasting in a proudful way. I remember reading one book. In fact, I was reading it today. One author, his comments on James, he gave the story of a, a rather pompous man that arose in the prayer meeting. This is the way he testified. He said, brethren, I'm, I'm on board the old ship of Zion. I'm selling heavenward, and I'm going at the rate of 16 knots an hour, and I shall soon sell up the harbor of the blessed. 
Another fellow, as soon as he got done, he jumped up. He said, I too am aboard the old ship of Zion, but I'm sailing at 30 knots an hour, and I shall soon sail up the harbor of the blessed. And there was one fellow not to be outdone. He jumped up and he said, I too, brethren. He said, he said, I'm on the old ship of Zion. It's a steamship with terrific horsepower. And on this steamship, I'll sail soon sail up the harbor of the blessed. Well, this little quiet Christian lady got up, plain little lady. She said, well, brethren, I've been going to heaven for 70 years, and I've been going to foot, and I suppose from the looks of things, I shall have to go foot the rest of the way. And if some of you people are going by steam, don't look out, you're going to burst your ballers. Well, I want to say to you tonight that sometimes we can be proud. But James not talking about boasting and pride. But he talked about let him boast. He's talking about that which you have the right to boast in. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Are you with me now? Let me show you what he's talking about. For one thing, he says to the believer in poverty, he says, let the believer in poverty rejoice in his exaltation. Look at it in verse 9. Let the brother of low degree, let he that lives in poverty rejoice in that he is exalted. Now, James is telling them that even though they were in humble conditions, even though they were in depressed conditions, James says to them, you are rich. He said, you've been exalted. And he uses a word there that means you've been put up in a high position. He said, you don't have much of this world's goods, but you've been exalted. He said, you may be considered the lowest of the lowest rung rung of the ladder, but he said, you have been exalted. He said, you've been lifted high. The world may look at you as having a low position, but God has given you a high position. And he said, you may not have much as far as this world is concerned, but you've got another world. Therefore, rejoice. I would say to you tonight, there are believers that cannot boast in their wealth, and they have no wealth or fame or money to boast in. But I'll tell you one thing. You may not have a dollar to your name tonight, but you can boast in this. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're God's child, and you enjoy, experience things this old world knows nothing about. I mean, you rejoice in that. So I don't have a new suit to wear tomorrow, and you're a member of the family of God. You've been exalted, and he said, rejoice in that. Our W. Dale, Pastor Cars Lane in, in Birmingham, England, for a number of years, I ran across something he said about this verse I thought was real good. R.W. Dale said, let him remember that he's a prince. James talking about let the brother of low degree rejoice. Dale said, let him remember he's a prince and glory in it. He's a prince on his way to the kingdom, traveling by rough roads, enduring many hardships, suffering from hunger, cold, and wilderness. And the people among whom he's traveling do not know anything about his greatness, but he knows, but let him glory in his highest state. In other words, what Dale was saying, what James is saying, maybe things are tough, but rejoice in that you have been exalted. I think about an old song that came out a few years ago that said, shake hands with a poor boy that owns everything. I want you to know I'm a poor boy that owns everything. Amen? Look up here. I'm St. Trivet. I'm a child of God, a sinner that should have went to hell, but God saved me by his grace, made me one of his children. I'm a member of the family of God, and bless God about it. Amen. I've been exalted. I've got a reason to rejoice. Even when your trials come, you can rejoice in the fact you're a child of God. You don't have to hang your head down. This old world don't have much to offer you, but you're exalted. You're a child of God. 
and things may get bad and even go from bad to worse, but you still got a reason to rejoice. And he says to those believers over there, those scattered believers said, you've lost everything. They're having to scrape in the barrels for the next meal, but rejoice and that you've been exalted. But look what he said to the rich man. He said to the rich man, he said to the rich, let the believer with poverty rejoice in his exaltation. But he said, secondly, let the believer with plenty rejoice in his humiliation. Now look at it carefully. Verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. He doesn't change his subject, but the rich in that he's made low. He said, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted, but the rich, let him rejoice in that he's made low. To the poor, don't have anything. He said, rejoice because you're exalted. But the rich man, he said, I want you, to the rich, he said, I want you to rejoice in this, that you've been made low, that you have been humbled. He goes on and he gives an instruction, he explains his instruction by giving an illustration in verse 10 and 11. He talks about the latter part of verse 10, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Verse 11, for the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade in all of his ways. James was speaking of the wild flowers that carpeted the hillsides and the area that he was from. And in the early spring, when the spring rains would come, then these flowers would bloom up overnight and cover the hillsides and, and cover the landscape there and beautiful little old flowers. But the rains were very short. The period of rain was a very short time. The rainy season, and when the rainy season was over, then the sun came out, scorching sun, and it was dry. And when that hot, dry spell came with no rain to water the flowers, then they withered up and they died. James uses that illustration to compare the short lifespan of those flowers to those of the rich. And he said in the latter part of verse 11, so also shall the rich man fade away in all of his ways. The word ways is interesting. It means literally travels. James said he will fade away in all of his travels, or we would put it say it this way today, that his journey will come to an end. That one of these days is going to come to the end of his journey, to the end of his travels, to the end of his ways. Like the flowers, he springs up. And then it's a very short time and they die. He said life itself is a very, very short thing. And he goes on and talks about it in chapter 2 and comes back to that theme. It's like, like a vapor that appears for a short time then vanishes away. But James talks about you rejoice in that something has brought you low and humbled you. What is he talking about? Why is he saying to the rich man, rejoice in your humiliation? Because he's talking about that which has made the rich man, has brought the rich to the place of realization that there's more in life than money. He's talking about a rich man that has been humbled, been brought down, made low, and to realize that there's more in life than how much one has. And there's more in life than how big one's bank account is or their portfolio is, or how many CDs they have, and what kind of interest rate they're getting on money. He's come, he's some, something has brought them to conclusion that their money is only for a short period of time. They're only going to have it for a short period of time. They're going to come to the end of their journey, and they're going to leave it all behind. And all that's going to matter then is whether or not you were saved and what your relationship to God was. 
James is talking about believers that are rich, but they'd experienced something that taught them that money was not the most important thing in life, and their trials had taught them that what mattered most was the eternal and not the earthly. There's nothing wrong with having things. Nothing wrong. Nowhere does this buy them. I'm not talking about some of these joy boys on TV and stuff like that that tell you all this and God's will for everybody to be rich. That's not always the case. But I will say this. There's nothing wrong with having something. Not a thing wrong if you have the biggest house on Signal Mountain. Not a thing wrong if you drive the longest car in the parking lot. Not a thing wrong if you have millions of diamonds on your finger. Not a thing wrong with wealth. There's not a thing wrong with you having things. What's wrong is when things have you. When you live for things and your whole life is centered around things. James said, don't you realize that your life is like those flowers on the hillside? They're gonna, it's a short period of time and then you're going to come to the end of your journey. And when you come to the end of your journey, what's your gold going to do for you? What's your portfolio going to do for you? What's your bank accounts and savings accounts and CDs and money market accounts? What are they going to do for you? Not one thing. Just leave them behind for the children to fight over. They're going to do you benefit you one thing at all. Think about a young man said to a millionaire. He's, he walked up this fellow. He's a millionaire. And he said, you're to be envied more than anybody I know. And the millionaire just stopped and said, why so? And the fellow said, well, you're a millionaire. Think of the thousands that your income brings in every week. And the millionaire looked at him and said, well, what of it? All I can get out of it is my food and clothes. I can't eat more than one man's allowances and wear more than one suit of clothes at a time. Even you can do as much as I can. And the young man but no, said, oh, but y'all, but think of the hundreds of the fine homes that you own and, and the rentals they bring. And the millionaire looked at him and said, well, why am I better off for that? I only live in one house at a time. And as for the money I receive for rent, why well, I can't eat it or wear it. I only use it to buy, buy houses for other people to live in, and they're really the beneficiaries, not I. Or after a little more discussion, the millionaire finally said to the young man, he said, I can tell you that the less you desire in this world, the happier you'll be. All of my wealth can't buy a single day more of life. Cannot buy back my youth. It cannot procure me power to keep off the hour of death. And then what will all avail within a few short years at the most? I must lie down in the grave and leave it all forever. He said, young man, you have no cause to envy me. But is it not true that most of us, and I'd say many in this auditorium tonight, the thing that you live for and the thing that consumes you and the thing that drives you and the thing that you live for is to have more. That's why you work all the overtime you can. That's why you do this. That's why you strive here. That's why we finance plumb up to our eyeballs. That's why we do this. We live so we can have more. And again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and nothing wrong with having more as long as we don't stop, as long as we don't forget that there's more to life than what we have. One of these days, we're coming to the end of our journey. The end of our ways and all that matters then is whether or not you've been saved by the grace of God and you know Jesus Christ. James says to the rich man, he said, something come in your life that made you realize there's more to life than your riches. He said, you were made low 
You were brought to a place of humiliation. You were brought to a place to realize that all gifts were from God and that every perfect gift cometh from God. You were brought to a place where you recognized that you couldn't take the credit for it. Only God takes the credit for it. See, trials have a way of making a person get their priorities right. Amen? And trials have a way of making us see what's important. We get so sidetracked, but God lets adversity come to get us back on the right track and to realize what is important. You see, friend, there is something that everybody in the family enjoys. We're a brother. And there's something that everybody in the family experiences, trials. But there is something that we all can express, and that is we can rejoice. Oh, James says, the poor rejoice in your exaltation, but the rich rejoice in your humiliation. In other words, James is just continuing the thought that no matter how trials come and to whom those trials come, it always has a good outcome. Amen? Look at your prayer sheet tonight. Look at your Wednesday night prayer sheet. Our missionary of the week is Marty Frisky with the Saulnier Robertson Haven Homes. It's supported by the fellowship class. How many of you know Brother Marty Frisky? And he's our missionary of the week. Our church of the week is Gateway Baptist Church in Bristol, Tennessee, Brother David Chenault. And Brother David is coming to our conference this year. This is his first time to ever been with us. And so we want to be praying for him. And then, of course, our hospital list, Irene Touchstone at Life Care, Red and Gladys Beavis, is Susan Dane, uh, Terry Jeffries' uncle and aunt, and then Willie Holcomb at Health South, and then Mary Bruce. I saw Mary this afternoon. She's waiting for the doctor to come and release her. So it's very possible she's gone home. But we want to continue to pray for Mary. And then Dorothy Fidel, her sister, passed away. The funeral was on Monday. And then, of course, on the back, there are many, many special requests and all these things uh, we want you to pray for. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to come tonight, all of you that will, take these things, our Missionary of the Week, our Church of the Week. Of course, let's pray for our services on Sunday. Pray for everything that's going on, building program. Uh, we're moving along with that, getting information together, getting uh, surveys and close to getting civil engineers to help us lay out our master plan so that we can present something to you and show you uh, what we're going to do, where we're going to do it. Sunday, we open up the uh, part in the back, and we'll be dedicating that a couple of Sundays. A new nurseries, Noah's Ark, opens up on Sunday. We're excited about that. If you have not walked through there, you need to go through there and see that. It, it's really exciting. Got several of your pictures we put on the wall back there, so you need to go by and find yourself on the wall because we went to our church directory and pulled several of you out and used you on the wall back there. So you want to go back through there and see that. And, but it's exciting about what's going on. We want to pray God to bless it. I want to pray for our Bible conference and all these things. So all of you that will, let's come gather around the altar. Let's take these things to the Lord. We're a family, aren't we? You're part of a family, great family of God. I want you to come. Good to see Tom Blair here tonight. Tom was in the hospital in Huntsville over the weekend. Good to have Tom back tonight. I'm glad he's doing better. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to moving all of these things and to touch them. Remember faith tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. Be our fourth week of faith. It's hard to believe a month has already gone by, but how exciting it has been already. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, as we come to you, we thank you, Lord, that we can pray. And we come tonight, Lord, with our brothers and sisters in the Lord to bring these needs and to bring these requests to you. Father, we pray tonight for Brother Marty, and for his ministry. Thank you, Lord, for saving him, his testimony. Thank you for the ministry you have put in me, and I pray you'd bless him. 
Bless us all near in the Robertson homes. Bless them in a very special way. Meet every need that he might have. We pray, Lord, for Gateway Baptist Church in Bristol, Tennessee. We pray for Brother David Chenault and his family. We ask you to bless them and to work there and to touch them in a very, very special way. Father, we pray for our church family, those in the hospital, those that have special needs. Lord, we pray, God, that you'd move and meet every need. We pray, Lord, for the services on Sunday. May the hand of God be upon us. May the glory of God be upon us. We pray, Lord, for the Bible conference coming up. Just a few weeks, couple of weeks away. We pray, God, for you, that you would anoint it. Bless Brother Tom. Bless Brother Maxwell, the speakers, and all the others that are preached. Lord, bless every guest that will come. Father, I pray for every preacher. They'll have their hearts blessed and stirred. Father, I pray they'll come and during the week you'd visit them in a very special way and set them on fire, send them back to their church with a vision of what can be done. But God, minister to their hearts, minister to many, many guests that will be coming in. Minister our hearts, do something in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for the building program. We ask you, Lord, to continue to lead us and guide us. We'd always be in the will of God. Continue to meet every need, Lord. We pray for contributions and we pray for an increase in our giving and all these things, all these things that are critical to our future and what we do. Lord, bless all these things. This is your work. It's not ours. It's yours. And we're just trying to do what you tell us to do and just trying to go where you want us to go. And so, Father, we ask you to meet and supply every need. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in the family of God. And thank you, Lord, for all the things we share, even our trials. But we thank you, Lord, we've got reasons to rejoice. For it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed. Shake hands and fellowship as you leave. Let our visitors know how glad we are to have them. Introduce yourself to them. Invite them to your Sunday school class.